over 200 people on our Go Team's trips and camps, and um, we wanted to hear about that. So today is going to look a little bit different than our normal. We don't have a teaching pastor doing a message. Instead, we're going to look back over the summer and celebrate what God did on some of these experiences as uh, teams went out proclaiming the gospel and then also helping people in need. Now, if you're new to Brookside, you might be asking yourself, what exactly are Go Teams? Well, they're one to two week trips and camps where a team of Brooksiders goes out to serve alongside one of our long-term partners, ministry partners. And uh, our slogan for Go Teams is uh, serving as a catalyst, which means we go to serve these long-term ministry partners so that they can go farther, faster in their ministry. But what we always find out is that when we go to serve someone else, what happens in our own spiritual life is that fresh faith is awakened and it's a spiritual catalyst for us as well. Now, we've done uh, this, this kind of a service usually maybe once a year after the summit, but today I wanted to do something a little bit different. We're going to spend a little bit more time unpacking for you and explaining these long-term partners that our GO teams go to serve. Now, this summer, we went out and served five different long-term partners. So for each of those, we're going to have a video to help unpack that, and then we're also going to share a little bit from our trips. But the reason that we are so passionate about short-term trips and also our long-term partners is that we feel like the gospel compels us to go. Go out into the world and meet people on their terms. I think actually inherent in the DNA of the gospel is this idea that God has sent us with a message. And it conveys an idea of just going forth in movement. In uh, the book of John, 17, 18, Jesus is having a conversation with the Father in, uh, in a prayer about his disciples, and he says this, As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. What a simple statement, but how powerful. Guys, we are a sent people. Followers of Jesus have a message to convey. You see, um, God the Father wants the whole planet filled with his glory. So he sent the Son to provide salvation for us. And then we are sent with that message to the world. And this, um, this idea of sending is not only, I think, inherent in the DNA of the gospel. I kind of see it in the, the DNA of God himself, his character. You see it in the Trinity. See, the Father sends the Son, the Son sends the Spirit, and the Spirit sends us. There's movement to the gospel I don't think the gospel is ever meant to stay bottled up into a church building or in the believing community, but I think God expects us to take initiative and to find people who have not yet heard and to share that good news and then also to demonstrate that by helping people with their physical needs, the poor, the broken, and the marginalized. God sends us to the nations and to our neighbors. And so that's the way we've organized the morning. We're going to take a look first at our global work and then our local work. So uh, many of you know, if you come to church much, had an opportunity to follow God for a while, you'll, you'll know uh, something called the Great Commission. And that's at the end of the book of Matthew, Matthew 28. Uh, Jesus' very last words to his disciples, uh, the instructions, as he's leaving, going back to heaven, he's telling his disciples, you need to do this. And those words are these. All authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all the nations. 
You see, to be faithful to Jesus and following Jesus, that means that we, his church, we, his people, have to have some part in taking the gospel to nations, particularly those that are unreached. This is mission critical. In fact, um, Jesus said in another part of the Bible that his return, when he's coming back to earth at the end of time, is going to be time dependent upon when we finish this task, this mission that God has given us of spreading the good news of salvation to all the nations. So I'd say it's pretty important to God. And if it's important to God, then it's important to us as a church. And then uh, incidentally, as I'm, you know, I've been reviewing these passages and traveling a lot over the last several months, I'm becoming more and more aware or recognizing that I think God just loves diversity. You know, he wants heaven to be full of every tribe and every nation, every tongue, every people group. I think to God, heaven isn't going to be heaven until all peoples are represented. So um, let's go ahead and dive in. And the first country we're going to look at, the first GO Team trip that we're going to take a look at uh, this morning is our trip to Turkey and Athens, Greece. Um, and as, if you're getting to know what Brookside's doing globally, uh, you'll begin to notice that we're putting more and more emphasis on uh, trying to help take initiative with church plants, particularly in unreached countries and areas. And that's why we as a church are allocating $30,000 from our global budget over the next three years to help fund a new church planning effort in the Middle East called the Daniel Project. And by the way, you guys are all a part of that if you give, because every time you give to Brookside, 10% of that gift is given to local and global work like planting churches in unreached countries. So uh, let's take a look at our partner, the Daniel Project. Uh, let's take a look at this video. Turkey has over 72 million people living here and only 4,000 believers. Uh, statistically, that's one of the least reached countries in the world. Turkey is a gateway country and very strategic in the Muslim world. It has a growing influence in Europe, obviously has uh, influence in the Middle East and in Asia as well. It's one of the most economically developed Muslim countries and is a really a leader uh, in the Muslim world. We're in Istanbul, Turkey, and our desire is to place and support near neighbor, near culture believers here in Turkey and Iran and Iraq for the purpose of starting local churches. One of the things I like about the Daniel Project, it's a very strategic mission opportunity. It tries to use near culture peoples, believers from Albania and Romania, other countries that are geographically and culturally close to Turkey, to come and help be a part of the church planning effort in Turkey to cooperate with local Turkish churches. And together, they go out and plant churches in areas that there is no gospel presence yet. The idea is that they can learn the language and culture uh, more quickly and be able to relate and share more effectively. And we've even seen that over the last few years in our history with the Daniel Project. I really am here with the Daniel Project and I believe a lot in what the Daniel Project is trying to do. I love the idea of bringing near culture believers in and training them and helping them to adjust to Turkish life. I believe they'll be a lot more effective than 
people from North America. Brookside wants to be a part of helping to encourage church planning and preaching of the gospel right here in Istanbul and throughout Turkey. And we invite you to join us in moving forward in placing and supporting these near neighbor believers. We're excited to see how God is using them and how they, because of their cultural connection, are effective in reaching this country for Christ. <laughs> So in June, I got a chance to lead a team to uh, Turkey and then to Athens uh, to partner with the Daniel Project there in Turkey. One of the things we got to do in Istanbul was actually get out into the streets and pass out Christian resources like the Jesus movie in the Turkish language. And all the resources had contact information so people could follow up if they were interested. And this kind of thing helps the long-term missionaries because if they get caught doing that too much, they can get kicked out of the country. Now, Turkey, we found, is a fascinating place, and the people are amazing. It's easy to fall in love with the Turkish people. They're gracious people. We also found out it's a spiritual vacuum. The government is secular, but the people are Muslim, at least Muslim in culture. And a church in Turkey is not really illegal, per se, but it's intentionally overregulated. So in the hopes that the few churches that do exist will wither up and die. And I've got a picture from our uh, trip, and it's a great visual image of our time there. It's from a, a little church that we were working with, uh, took us to this site, and we prayed over it. It's an abandoned church that was abandoned about 50 years ago. And these believers that we were with have been wanting to buy this property for over five years, but the government has uh, basically put a halt to it for over five years because of uh, red tape, because they don't want to see churches uh, grow. So we're praying that the gospel would advance and this group of believers would be able to buy this property and once again it could be used for kingdom purposes. But my personal takeaways from our time in Istanbul were twofold. One, a greater awareness of the darkness of Islam. But on conversely, a greater desire to show compassion to Muslims that are in bondage to it. It became really clear to me over the course of getting ready for the trip that if Muslims are going to be reached with the love of God, ordinary people, ordinary Christians, ordinary Christ followers like you and me are going to have to care more about uh, Muslims. And we're going to have to take more interest and also more initiative. I don't know if you're like me, but um, at least for me, it's really easy to ignore things that are uncomfortable, things or people. But God, our God is such a generous God, and he wants to extend his grace to all peoples. So uh, I know came away from this trip feeling personally challenged that I want to raise awareness for uh, caring about Muslims. And for example, I don't know if you knew, but uh, this last week, Wednesday, was the last day of Ramadan. So when that comes around next year, I'm going to encourage you all as a church to enter that month and do special season of prayer for Muslims during the month of Ramadan. Well, as I mentioned, um, our trip had two parts. We actually followed the refugee highway and we moved from Istanbul to Athens and linked up with two other global partners, Christy and Tasha, who are helping Muslim refugees there in uh, Athens. And uh, perhaps you're aware of this, but for years, Muslims in the Middle East and Northern Africa have been trying to make it into Europe to find jobs. And now with the rise of the Taliban in the last 10 years, 
in Afghanistan and Iran and Iraq. Tons of Muslims have fled those countries trying to get into Europe through Greece, but they get stuck in Greece. I think Greece is probably the easiest place to try to get into, both because it's on the eastern border, but also because they can't control their borders. There's so many islands and so much uh, uh, water space, they just can't control it. And as you know, Greece is on the brink of economic chaos. They're having huge problems internally. So the reality is lots and lots of the local Greeks hate these Muslim immigrants that are refugees that are coming. And what we also found out is that there's a, a Nazi party that's arising. It's kind of gathering a little bit of momentum there. It's not uncommon for the Nazi gangs to uh, go into the parks, and if they find uh, Muslim refugees there, they beat them. But in the middle of all this chaos and mess there in Greece, Christian organizations like the one that Tasha and Christy work with are trying to offer Muslims uh, compassion by providing food and showers and clothing, friendship, and Bible study. And I wanted to have an opportunity to introduce to you guys, some of you already know Christy and Tasha, uh, some of you don't. So uh, we tried to make a Skype call a couple days ago, and um, so we took a recording of that, and we're going to show it to you now. I have to warn you, it's very, very low tech, so you're going to have to listen carefully. But here's one of our global partners, Tasha Hayes. Hi, Brookside. I'm Tasha Hayes, uh, one of your global partners, working with refugees in Athens, Greece, and helping Nancy try to serve refugees uh, in a few different ways, uh, holistically, physically, and spiritually. So we offer hot meals, we offer dry food, clothing, Bible studies, English lessons, um, and we also try to meet relational needs, so building relationships, going to their houses, helping them with their uh, asylum process as much as we can. There are many challenges for Muslim women in coming to Christ. Uh, a few of those would be uh, their husbands threatening them that if they accept Christ, they'll take their children and they'll never see them again. There's a lot of pressure. The Afghan community is very strong here in Athens even, uh, and they live with dozens of other people. So if one person accepts Christ and they hear about it, they'll get kicked out or hurt in the middle of the night or their children taken from them by strangers. If they find out they're Christians, uh, they get threatened. Uh, with knives and uh, all sorts of other type of violence. Because women in Afghanistan were kept inside their homes, they couldn't go to school, they couldn't work, so they don't, they don't have the life skills to defend for themselves, to provide for themselves, even to know how to take care of their children if their husbands go to sleep. So it's a very, they're left in a very hopeless situation uh, if they get thrown out and abandoned by their friends. Uh, I'd okay. like to tell you about an experience Brooke Tyson had when they were here. Last month, the women on the team got to go to the house of a woman named Zainab. And she's from Afghanistan. And in Afghanistan, she was married. And her husband was very abusive of his family. And she found out she was pregnant with twins. And they were girls. So he divorced her and left her because twins is a bad omen in Afghanistan. And she started coming to our center and to Bible studies. And at the time, she hurt her children. It was very abusive because that's all that she knew. And she hurt herself trying to deal with the emotional pain that she had been through and the trauma. And the more she came to Bible studies, the more she fought with God. I thought, how can this be more crazy? Uh, but she kept coming back. She had a dream one night that the ceiling opened up and Jesus came down to her. And she woke up in a cold sweat and her arms were extended up. And after that, she started thinking more and more about Christ. 
and last April she called and said she wanted to accept Christ because she read about the story Jesus calming the sea and knew only he could calm uh, circumstances in her life. Zainab's forced, uh, seen a lot of pressures from people, African women around her, asking her point blank, are you a Christian? Trying to trap her and to have an excuse to, to lash out at her. So she tells them, watch my life and see for yourself, knowing that if you follow Jesus' words in the Bible, that your life will look different than people who don't trust Jesus and follow him. And that's what she tells people, and there's no way for them to trap her. And other, actually other Afghan Christians now, women, use that same line when they're asked point blank, are you a Christian? Uh, Brookside, I wish I could be there, uh, live, feed with you, but I'm sorry, I can't, but I just want to say thank you for your heart, uh, for learning about Muslims and wanting to start doing different things to reach them. It's a, a huge encouragement, and I, I pray many blessings on you as you continue to seek this. You heard a little bit about some of the obstacles and persecution that can happen when an Afghan or a Muslim comes to Christ. But in spite of these persecutions, Muslims do turn to Christ. And we continue to hear that they're having dreams of Jesus, and that allows them to be open to the gospel message. In fact, we had the opportunity to have lunch with one of the Muslim refugees there. Uh, we had three or four days with uh, Christy and Tasha there at their center. And he told us a story, um, his story, actually, he was uh, coming from another country um, and uh, the refugee highway, and um, he had actually paid a human trafficker to get him across the river that separates Turkey and Greece. And uh, he said, as he was unpacking the story, he said, it's just like one of the movies from Hollywood. He, um, they uh, had a, a little inflatable raft, and it was at night, so they put a black tarp over their head, and there was four or five guys in there. And they were paddling across the river. And he said there were teams of Greek police with guns, and they were canvassing the river with lights. But they avoided them and got over to the, this, the Greece side of, of the land. And uh, after he had been in Greece for several months, um, one night he had a dream. And even though he had never been inside of a church building, he said, in his dream he was sitting in a church service. And there, his dad came up behind him. And his dad had died a number of years when he uh, was younger. And his dad came up and put his hands on his shoulder and pointed to the pastor and directed him to look at him. And he said, listen to this man. He has wisdom. And that was a turning point in his life. And later, he uh, accepted Christ. But along with this kind of miraculous story that we're beginning to hear quite a bit uh, from numbers and numbers of Muslims, there's also real stories of persecution. Now, we didn't play this part of the conversation, the Skype call with Tasha, but she had mentioned that just last week, I think it was, an Afghan Muslim in Athens who had accepted Christ got stabbed by other Afghanis because of the conversion. You see, these communities are very tight, and they keep track on each other. They know what's happening. So he showed up, this, this, uh, this guy, this convert who had gotten stabbed, he showed up with fresh wounds at the center, and they had to help him. And guys, this isn't in Afghanistan. This is in Athens, Greece. And another refugee um, that we uh, had converted told us his story, that while he was in Athens, uh, officials from Afghanistan came up to him and threatened him and said that, we know you've turned to Christ, and your name is on a list, and if you don't denounce Christianity, we're going to work with the government make sure that you get deported from Athens back to, uh, to Afghanistan. There, we're going to throw you in jail. You know, as we sat with uh, dinner uh, with this believer, 
and heard him share how hard it is for the people in Afghanistan to ever hear about the message of Christ. So it is so closed of a country. Um, one of our team members began to kind of break down, and with tears in her eyes, she began to share that she had had a neighbor, a uh, family from Afghanistan. She never took the time to really engage with them or to reach out to them. And they had recently moved, and now after hearing all these stories of how hard it is to reach the Afghani people, she realized how big of an opportunity she missed. And I think that's one of the things that, that our team learned was that we cannot ignore people. Even if they're different from us, God sends us with love to all peoples. And that means taking initiative, both when we're on a trip in another country, but also when we're here at home. And sometimes, going to the nations and going to our neighbors is the same thing. Well, now let's turn our attention from um, the Middle East to uh, the Caribbean, and let's focus on Dominican Republic. We sent two GO teams there this summer, so I've asked Aaron Shaw and Karen Daniels to come. Tell us a little bit about their trips and also our global partners there. Yeah. So, Aaron? Sure, John. Thanks. Uh, appreciate that. You know, Brookside has been involved in the Dominican Republic for over 15 years now. now literally hundreds of Brooksiders have gone there to minister and to serve. Uh, my younger brother, Miguel, he actually was called by God to be a missionary to the Dominican Republic while on a high school short-term trip. Now, for the last seven-plus years, he and his wonderful wife, Kristen, have been serving, loving, sharing the gospel with, and bringing uh, Dominicans to Christ. Uh, Brookside is now partnering with them in a new endeavor. Basically, two parts. The first part is training young Dominicans to be missionaries, and the second part is planting churches in these isolated small villages that have no gospel and no church presence. Uh, one way that they raise money for this ministry is by roasting and selling coffee, of which we're lucky enough to have a bunch of bags for sale up uh, at the Vision Wall. So I encourage you to grab one of those um, on your way out. You know, being the Brookside uh, volunteer point person for uh, this ministry, it's really overwhelming to see the number of lives that have been changed um, and brought to Christ as a result of Miguel and Kristen and their heart and their vision and their faithfulness to the gospel. So watch this video as it shares um, a little more about this new partnership that we have with them. Hello everyone, my name is Miguel and my wife Kristen Shaw. We have been married for seven years. We have two beautiful daughters and we work with Adventures and Missions in the Dominican Republic. So we believe that the Lord wants to fill the Dominican Republic with His glory and doing that through the local church. The body of Christ coming together and, and reaching their own community. So even though the Dominican is a reached nation in the sense that the gospel is here among the people, there's still many remote villages and even slum neighborhoods that there's no gospel presence within it. You could literally be born, grow up, work, have a family, and die without ever hearing the gospel. Our heart is to encourage and empower the Dominican church to be a church planting body, to be a people that go out and reach their own countrymen with the gospel of Christ. We call this ministry Tierra Prometida, which in English means promised land. So one example of Promised Land Ministries and how that has worked is there's a pastor named Rigoberto 
and a co-pastor, Manuel. They are young pastors, full of energy, full of life, and have a vision to expand and to reach the, the villages nearby them. They have a small church full of very mature believers and followers that want to be mobilized into leadership, that want to be used for the kingdom. So we were able to plant a vision within these pastors to, to plant churches. Within 15 minutes of their community, there are two villages that are communities that have no church present whatsoever. There's no gospel, there's no one reaching them, there's no one preaching them. The problem that they came into was the finances. How do we transport people? How do we move people there? So there's an expense there that is difficult for them to, to reconcile. Through a church in the United States, we're able to help them see churches planted in these two communities. We would love to see American churches meet the local pastors that we have in our networks and meet these churches that are mobilizing their own congregation to, to be sent out. Now if you find a location, what we'd love to do is have you commit. So the first thing we would love for you to do is be the intercession body, the intercessory group for these people to be reached with the gospel. The second thing we ask you to do is come down. Come down at least once a year, twice if you can, and join in the work. If that's an evangelism, if you're doing working with the kids, if you're doing a baseball camp, whatever it is, wherever the, the, the local church is at, we'd love for you to join in that with them. Anything you do, whether you work with kids, whether you sew, whether you do construction, there, there is a way for you to plug in, there's a way for you to love on the communities we work in. The third thing that we'd like you to do is figure out how you can help support financially the expenses. This isn't something for someone to get paid or someone to make a salary. This is all about how can we just cover the transportation expenses? How can we cover a one meal for this church planning team to go with partnership? I'm fully confident that this nation can be fully reached with Christ. We are just so blessed and thankful um, to be a part of what the Lord's doing here. And we are seeing just the Spirit move in beautiful and incredible ways. We're seeing churches raised up. We're seeing teams of church planners just come to life out of small churches and move into new communities. We're seeing villages reach. We're seeing the mountains coming to proclaim the glory of the Lord. We're seeing people rising up to their inheritance and the call that they have. And we would love just to have you down, just to see what he's doing, and um, just to see if the Lord would have you partner and be a part of what's going on here. So Brookside is partnering with Miguel and Kristen. They have a local pastor named Octavio. Together they've identified a small village, which is called Los Guandules, which means the peas. And this small village is fairly isolated and does not have any gospel presence, any church. And so the plan is over the next at least three years, Brookside will give uh, at least $3,000 a year to help provide for some of those uh, church planter ministry expenses that he referenced in the video. Not only that, but we'll be praying for the people in that area and then also sending at least one team a year down to help support the outreach ministry. In July, I was able to eat, lead an awesome group of men, Brookside men, down to the DR on a construction trip. So while there, we visited uh, this small village, uh, prayed with them, shared a, a sermon, but our primary, primary focus was to build. Um, we are in the early stages of constructing a new home and ministry center for Miguel and Kristen. And uh, while we were there, through multiple days of hot sun, a lot of sweat, and, and then a tropical storm... We uh, put together and constructed about, um, laid over 1,000 uh, cement blocks, which formed the foundation and some of the lower walls for their new house. This house will serve um, to not only bring stability to their family, but will also be integral in their lifelong ministry and outreach uh, to the Dominicans. 
Well, our prayers are that um, over the next few years, God will continue to bring in some additional um, funds, you know, to go towards the construction project, and then a few years down the road, we'll finish uh, this house and ministry center. On a personal note, uh, Miguel and Kristen are so thankful for you, for Brookside, for this body of believers that love them and care for them and are partnering, standing with them in their outreach and ministry uh, in the DR. Now, just a few weeks ago, a second trip from Brookside went down, uh, parents and students, and uh, Karen is going to share with us some of the lessons learned and stories uh, from that trip. God gave uh, me the opportunity to actually minister to the Dominican Republic with my three daughters and with several families. And although there's lots of different stories that I could share with you, I'm going to give you just uh, kind of a glimpse of one story. On the first morning that we visited the families, the villages, um, we actually, I actually met a woman named Casilda and her family, her extended family. And what I didn't know that very first day was that our team last year had actually visited her and extended the gospel to her, and she wasn't ready to accept Christ at that time. Since then, she actually did accept Christ, and not only did she accept Christ, she's been a leader in the community, sharing her faith and being discipled. And one of the lessons learned for me was just that God confirms the work of our hands. Not only did he continue what he started last year, but he multiplied it. The other thing that was just a blessing was that very first morning we met her mother-in-law um, who kind of was in the same situation. She wasn't ex really in the past um, ready to ex uh, receive Christ, but that morning she prayed with an interpreter to, ex to receive Christ. She was ready. Um, the other, uh, uh, just God was moving through that family. Um, her husband, Casilda's husband, had never ever been to church before. He went twice while we were there. And so I'm really anxious next year to see how God continue uh, to move in this family. The third thing that I learned was that, um, that we should and we can love unabashedly, I mean, lavishly on these people, even though we're there only a week. Um, Casilda spoke primarily Spanish. She did know um, Creole, but she didn't know any English. And that week, um, she learned three words. And she hugged me later in the week, and she said, I love you. Um, she will always be a part of my life. She will always be written on my heart. And that's what God wants us to do in, in terms of loving others. The third thing that I learned was that um, there's physical brokenness, but there's, there's other sorrow and, and brokenness, heart brokenness there. And um, I was able to, to just find out from Casilda that um, she actually moved to the Dominican from Haiti, hoping to study and become a doctor. And um, she, in her words, said that things just didn't work, life didn't work out the way she had hoped. And um, I was able to minister to her and share with her that, you know, for me, sometimes that, you know, God's plans are not my plans, but that as long as we trust him, he will do immeasurably more than we can hope or imagine. And that's my expectation with Casilda and with her family, that they will actually be leaders of the church there. And next year, I'm hoping to see just great things that God continues to do there. Thank mm. you. Thanks, Karen. And now we're going to move our attention to Zambia and Africa. You know, if you've been around Brookside very long, you know that we're deeply involved uh, in the Hope Center in rural Zambia. The Hope Center is a base for orphan care and also pastor training. 
Um, now, my background, uh, when I started in ministry, is youth ministry, and I've seen so much fruit over the years as kids come back, you know, years and years later and mention what God did on a certain retreat or a camp. I've just seen so much God stuff happen on these uh, kinds of experiences. I got kind of a crazy idea about three or four years ago, and then um, two years ago, we uh, actually tried to bring that idea to life. I thought it would be really cool if we could try to actually run a full-blown camp for uh, orphans in another country, a developing country, a third world nation, one of the poorest countries in the world. Uh, so we gave it a try. Two years ago, we tried it. Um, God really showed up. And then last year, this last summer, what we did is we expanded that, developed it more, and added a second camp out in the bush. So we were there in Serenji in this little village, and then also ran a camp for um, orphans in the bush. And we partnered, we invited another church to come with us, so it was the Brooksiders and then also a local uh, a Zambian church, and together we provided this camp for over 70 orphans. And Brandy Geezer is just a fantastic volunteer. She totally designed and directed the camps, and they're really inspired by the track camps that a lot of you guys have already participated in. And uh, today we actually have a piece of camp in our worship center, and it's right over there on the exit. As you're walking out, you might notice it. It says, Twatotela Ba Brookside, which in their native language, Bemba, says, thank you, Brookside. And the kids signed it. And it's for all of you guys who participated in the Ziplocs for Zambia project. Those of you who gave them soap and toothbrushes and things like that, they were overjoyed to get that. Uh, so they made us a sign. Well, um, we wanted to show you a little bit of our camp experience from this last summer. So we made a video, and let's check that out. Brookside funded the construction for the Hope Center, which is in Serenje, which is in rural Zambia. It's ran by local Christians. And so the kids, they come every day for a meal and to learn about Jesus, but they actually don't stay there. We were very fortunate to partner with a local Zambian church while we were there, and they helped us lead camp and translate for us. These kids come and they're there at like 7 in the morning, and they walk all that way every day and every night. And so that shows that it is making a difference for the kids, but they wouldn't even want to be there. That's where they want to be, and they feel loved there. It helps to show them that there are those people halfway across the world that care about them and they're still people, how much more you know, does God care about them? He's God and sees everything and is everywhere. Seeing how much the children's lives have been impacted by what Brookside has done has been really awesome. When I went last year compared to this year, like how much the kids have grown and how happier they are, and also like how much the Hope Center is improving like with their agriculture and just how much they're trying to improve the lives of these children. My favorite part of camp was actually going to Ted End and taking the kids to Kundalila Falls. On our journey down the falls you could just see like the kids trusted us more and um, it was awesome to build that relationship with them. One day we had talked about trusting in Jesus and what that looked like, and so all of our girls, all six of them, decided to trust Jesus as their savior. During the challenge time, we would challenge the kids, uh, not only physically with the, with the game or the challenge, but also uh, mentally and really to think spiritually about how, how can we apply the principles that we learned in this physical challenge to our spiritual life. 
we got to pray for them and then uh, have them do the trust fall. It was a really special moment for our group and hopefully even the kids that didn't do it, they saw that and they saw how much we cared and loved them. Well, a lot of the kids in Zambia, especially the orphans, have never had a birthday party and celebrated their birthday. So we threw a big birthday party together for all of them so that they could celebrate the day they were born. These kids are super awesome. I loved the birthday party that we did for them. The smiles on their faces were just incredible. I've never seen anybody smile that big over a birthday party. It was really exciting just to, to have that different perspective on something as simple as a birthday. Because I mean, it's something that we take for granted, but here it's like, oh my gosh, it's a birthday party! It brought so much joy, I think, to even us as adults, knowing that we could go there and give these kids something special and let them know how special they were. The faith and hope that they have in Christ is way more impactful in our lives than what we do for those kids. By going on a Go Teams trip, you get to gain a global perspective and just learn what God is doing around the world. And it was really helpful for me just to know that life is not just about here in Omaha. It's also about what God is doing around the world, and He is moving in really powerful ways. Thank you, Bruce! Well, hey, I'm Jack, and uh, I love the Hope Center. I've had the opportunity to serve there uh, several times and even got to be there uh, leading the last trip we took and just really love the ministry that Brookside is able to be a part of at the Hope Center and also all over the globe as you've been hearing about these uh, different ministries uh, that we've been helping with. And um, But as John mentioned before, God's Word doesn't just call us to be sent to the nations but also to our neighbors. And John mentioned that verse in the book of John about being sent. And I love that whole section in the book of John, uh, chapters 13 through 17, because it's uh, a lot of Jesus's final words with his disciples. And so I think it's a really special and powerful time for Jesus and his disciples. And so that's where we read about uh, Jesus washing their feet and he shares communion with them. And he talks about sending the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will lead them uh, when he's gone, and he uh, comforts them, you know, not to be troubled when he's taken and crucified. And so it's this really, I think, powerful moment together with his disciples, and then he ends it in prayer. And it's in that prayer that he prays to the Father uh, for the disciples and says that verse that John read, as you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And that was probably a scary thing for the disciples to hear, but also a powerful thing. But I love what Jesus prays just a few verses later in verse 20. He says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And so Jesus prays for future believers, which means he's praying for us, for you and I, that we would also be sent into the world, sent globally, but also sent into our communities, into our places of work and our schools and into our families. Uh, and as John mentioned again, compelled by the gospel, what the gospel has done for us, compelled to share that with others. And so we think that is a huge value, and we really want to model that for our student ministries. And so our high school students this last summer went to California, and they learned about how to effectively share their faith, and then they actually went out and put that into practice with the hopes of uh, coming home and continuing to do that in their everyday life. 
And then our middle school students uh, went to Dallas, Texas, and had the opportunity just to work with several ministries, reaching out to people who are facing homelessness and reaching out to a uh, refugee and immigrant community. And that was a really powerful trip for them because uh, we were able to not just uh, share the message of the gospel, but also demonstrate the love of the gospel by reaching out to them and sharing our lives with them, but also just meeting their physical needs too. And so, um, you know, Jesus didn't call us to just come into the church and to learn and grow, but he called us to go outside of those walls. And that's, that's something that we were able to experience together with the students. And uh, there were so many stories that I was thinking of that I would like to share this morning. But then just a few days ago, uh, a mom of one of our students came up and talked to me and she said, hey, I just wanted to let you know that ever since the, the trip to Dallas, our son hasn't been the same. And uh, I was like, oh, that's interesting. She said, yeah, uh, his, his father and I have just noticed a huge difference in the way he's been living, and even his siblings have noticed a huge difference. And I thought, wow, that's saying a lot that his siblings are you know, noticing. <laughs> and uh, she said, yeah, just his perspective of himself in this world and the people around him has really changed, and that's been obvious in the way he's been living. And when she said that, I thought, that's what it's all about. That's that's why we do this. Obviously, we want to have an impact when we go and serve other people. We want to share the love of Jesus with them. But we also want to bring that back with us and continue to do that in our everyday lives. And so for that student, uh, he wasn't just sent on a one-week trip to Dallas, but he was also sent, or he's also being sent every day into his own world around him. And I think that's what Jesus desires for each of us. Um, that when we know him, we would also go to make him known to the people around us in our lives. Sam, John. Thanks, Jack. Well, another uh, long-term partner we have here that's locally is Royal Family Kids Camp and Track Camps. And Brookside is actually the sponsor church for this. And these camps help foster kids right here in Omaha and eastern Nebraska. And what you may not know is this year is the 10th year anniversary for this. And uh, Mark actually had the vision of getting this started 10 years ago and brought the idea to Brookside, and uh, it's just grown from there. So, Mark, tell us a little bit about that. Sure, you bet. Well, um, Real Family Kids Camp and Team Reach Adventure Camp, or TRAC for short, uh, are an opportunity that we have as a church to reach out locally here. I love how we focus both internationally and then locally, as well as we're sent by God to minister to those who don't yet know Him and are hurting. And uh, what we do with Real Family and TRAC is we invite them to come to a summer camp program we invite kids and teens that have been victims of abuse and neglect, uh, kids and teens that are in the foster care system. And uh, we get to invite them out of that uh, reality into several days of just fun and play and learning about what it's like to be loved uh, by God and uh, the good plan he has for their lives. And uh, basically what happens year after year is that it goes from, in our minds, I think a lot of times with statistics and news stories about child abuse, to a name and a face and a real life story that really grabs our hearts. And uh, we love doing it for that reason. Uh, let's, uh, let's hear on the video some people that have been involved with camp up to now.
Walker. I am 12 years old. I come from a family of seven. Seven. I went to the Warrior Family Kids Camp in 2010. I'm 11. My name is Asia, and I have quite a few brothers and sisters. Seven when I first came to camp, and I was kind of scared. But at the same time, my sister was there too. But it was, it was her graduating year, so I felt pretty comfortable. We did things such as zip lines. The rock wall. I was addicted to the rock wall. We swam in the lake and pool. Being with cabin members and having fun and talking and everything. Uh, that first day I got there, I um, really wasn't sure what to expect. I mean, I was only 16 years old. And then that night, I had an experience with the campers that really just grabbed me. And I remember going into the staff room after that um, and saying to Mark, I get it. Initially, when I was a new believer, it was I was looking for a way to serve. And then after my first summer, my, my heart just absolutely melted for those kids. And I just kept praying for ways to be more and more involved and make a greater impact. It does make a difference. You invest so much time into these girls and into their lives. and. You just have to let go and trust God and it's just so gratifying to see him show up and change a life so drastically. One example would be a camper named BJ who was in Breakfast Club hearing uh, one of the volunteers talk about the Holy Spirit and how we can have the Holy Spirit live in us and, and have an impact on our lives and, and he just blurted out, I want that! Uh, it is precious, I think he blurted it out twice. And so afterward, two, two of the volunteers, two of the staff people just walked him through what it means to trust Christ. And not only did he trust Christ, but he began to tell everybody he met on the campground, the lifeguards and, and the people in the cafeteria, and he came up to me and he said, storyteller Amy, and I don't remember exactly how he worded it. It wasn't, you know, I asked Jesus into my heart, but, but I knew what he meant. I knew he meant that he trusted Christ and it had made a difference in his life, and he wanted, he wanted everyone to know. You know, the impact that it's had on my life is, uh, is huge. I mean, I, I, think, um, I think before I started doing the camps, I think I was uh, a much more um, self-centered person, person that, you know, um, yes, I knew there was lots of, of, you know, problems in the world and, and things like that, but when you're actually down on the ground level like that with kids that uh, literally, for the most part, just don't have anything and uh, truly are the, the definition of the least of these, and you're... You're out there with them day after day. You know, it really, um, it really opened my eyes to how much I had missed and how much I wasn't seeing. I was really wanting to make friends and uh, have somebody actually make me think I was cared for and loved. And that's exactly what I got when I went to Royal Family Kids Camp. And, uh, I got love right off the bat and made really great friends, and I still keep in contact with some of them. That last guy, Dominic, was one of our campers, one of our first years at camp, and uh, through part of this ministry and other stuff God's done in his life, became a believer and actually helped as a junior staff person at camp uh, a few years back as well. So it's just been amazing to see what God's done over 10 years now of uh, working with Royal Family Kids Camp here in Omaha. I was thinking back through it a little bit, and uh, just right away when my wife Jenny and I got back from going to some training about how to lead a camp like this, um, we just got back to Omaha and thought, how in the world are we going to do this? I mean, it's got to be something that God puts together because if you stop and think about it, 
we're just a bunch of common church folk volunteers that are supposed to go and help these kids that have been through abuse and neglect and you may know that leads to behavior issues and challenges and and just all kinds of stuff in their lives and how are we going to do that and God has just provided one thing after another to make this ministry really flourish. Uh, I remember our very first year, uh, God just provided this key guy who was a child psychologist and counselor, and he just gave some great foundational things to build the camp on. Uh, another person came up and said, hey, I've been working in health and human services for 20 years, and I know people you need to get in touch with, and it gave us great connections, and he came and served at camp as well. Um, God's provided financially over the years just to raise the money to, to help the camp happen. I know our first year, we always look back on this and say, okay, God, God was faithful on that. We were two weeks before camp was supposed to happen. It was the first time we'd ever done it, and we were still $3,000 short. How are we going to pay for this thing we're supposed to do in a couple weeks? And in the mail, open up this envelope, and it was a check from a local community foundation that just saw a small article they wrote in the World Herald about uh, this camp starting, and it was a check for $3,000. They had no idea how much we needed, uh, but we were so blessed by that. We sent them a thank you note and just haven't heard back in 10 years. I was, I was hoping we would have, you know, heard from them again, but that was the only time they ever <laughs> gave. But uh, it was what God had planned for that moment, and, uh, and we really just look back and know that he's faithful in that. And the more we, we were working with the kids at Real Family, we realized, boy, we'd love to keep working with them when they get into middle school and teen, teen years, and, and, uh, but Real Family's designed just seven to 11-year-olds, and so we began praying for someone that would lead Teen Reach Adventure Camp or Track Camp. And God raised up Tim Freeberg, who's still directing it today, six years later, and uh, some others to go and do training and learn how to work with the teens specifically that come out of foster care. And that's been a great... Um, expansion to the ministry. We were also met with Health and Human Services and said, hey, we'd like to do mentoring. We'd like to get together with the kids throughout the year, not just in the summertime. And uh, we got the permissions and everything worked out to do that with these kids who are wards of the state. We're walking into their homes and being a blessing there and taking them out and hanging out with them and just teaching them about life. And um, this, the numbers have been kind of overwhelming. As you look back over 10 years, we started with 32 kids in that first camp. And uh, now we look back and say, wow, we've had over 900 campers between Real Family and Track, and God's worked in all those lives. We've had over 800 volunteers that have come and served at camp alone. Uh, over half a million dollars have been given so that kids can go to camp free of charge that are coming out of the, out of the foster care system. God is so good, and he's had so much impact over these years. Um, hundreds of people have been mentors and getting involved that way. Others have chosen, especially young people that come, have chosen careers that have to do then with teaching or being a, a social worker or therapist, things that they're shaped by this experience. Uh, others have trained to be licensed foster parents now or do respite care. Some have adopted kids. And uh, we just love seeing all that God's doing through the ministry. And we celebrate that and he's faithful in it. Um, but I wanted to introduce you to a couple people that are here on stage. Uh, Dave Schill. A uh, good friend, he's uh, married and has two kids, one in college, one in high school, and work as a trainer at Boys Town. And uh, you've been involved with Real Family and Track for several years now. There's a lot of things you can invest your time in, in life. Why do you choose this, Dave? Well, when I, when I hear the stories of abuse and neglect that um, these kids have had to endure, it, it breaks my heart. And, I know it breaks God's heart too, so I can't think uh, of a better use of my time than to sharing love with, uh, with kids that maybe haven't had a lot of love in their life. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot yeah, of fun at camp too. I like too, going right? to camp too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's a great ministry to be working with. Um, 
as you um, have just followed this journey of being sent by God, called by him to work at camp, I know you've done a lot of different roles and kind of been stretched. And tell us about your journey a little bit. Well, even though I worked with kids most of my adult life, it was still a step of faith for me to, to go to RFKC. I had never worked with younger kids before. I have always worked with teenagers. Um, I, I didn't know about the vacation. Am I gonna, how am I going to find the vacation time? And, and I had never been away from my family for, for a week at a time. Um, so it was a step of faith, and, and when I took that step, God provided everything I needed. He worked out all the details, and, and uh, especially think about the energy that he gave me to hang in there with two eight-year-olds for the week. <laughs> and since that was your first year as a camp counselor, right. and then what other roles has he led you into? Well, uh, I think every time I get a little comfortable, God asks me to take another step of faith. And um, I, I started mentoring uh, one, of the, one of the guys from the, the first camp I was at. I started helping with interviewing and training volunteers for, for camp um, and now stepping into some, some leadership roles uh, for camp. And um, even every time I think I'm not ready to go, God, God gives me everything I need and he provides all of it. And just so many blessings. I mean, now I, I get to serve with my whole family. Both my wife and kids come to camp the last couple of years. Um, I made, made some great relationships uh, with, with the people I serve with. And and I think most importantly, I get to every year see how God works in campers' lives. Hmm. Well, we've appreciated having you on the team. And um, speaking of the campers, Will Oliker is here with us today. Um, Will, you told me the first time you came to camp, you were seven years old. And I know at that time you were in the foster care system. And can you just help us know a little bit about what's that like, life in the foster care system? Well, when you're in the foster care system, there's some good homes and there's some bad homes. And I've been in a total of 14 different foster homes, and most of those foster homes were bad foster homes, and I've had to mostly be in survivor mode and kind of just take care of myself. Hmm. And, uh, and God has blessed me when I was in the foster care system, and he gave me good homes, and I could just rely on the parents to give me food, shelter, clothes, stuff I need, and, and I didn't have to like be in survivor mode and, take care of myself. I could just rely on the parents to do that. Hmm. Yeah, that's got to be hard being in a place where you feel like you almost have to be the adult, even though you're that age, uh, young age. And um, But as you know, that's when we invite kids to come to camp. And um, you were seven when you first came. Do you remember that first year? What, what were you thinking? What did you learn? What was the experience like for you? Well, when I first came to camp and I got off the bus, I took a look around. I had everything I could I could see, and I thought camp was just going to be boring. I wasn't going to learn anything. But within the first day, I realized that camp was gonna, was just going to be about God and just having fun. And I learned I learned about God and how to just live under His word and just pray to Him and just talk to Him and ask Him for forgiveness. And I realized that the kids were there, the kids that were there were just like me, and that they were in the foster care system that the counselors there were just there to help us have fun and to, and to show us that they care. Hmm. That's great. Had you ever learned about things of God before coming to camp? No. First time. Yeah. Very cool. Um, I know you, and I know what's happened in your life since you were seven. You're 13 years old now. Can you share with these guys what are some of the big things that God has done in your life since then? Well, some of the big things that God has done is that... He, he let me move into the, into the home that I'm living at now, 
with my mom who adopted me on September 19th of 2000. And the cool thing is, is that when I first went to camp, it was also my mom's first year there. And when I was 11, that was when I moved into this home, my mom asked me if I had asked God in my heart and accepted him as my savior. And I said no. So that night I called my mentor, Ryan Dogard, and he just listened to me pray and asked God in my heart. And that night when I went to bed, I, I could feel God right there watching over me and just protecting me. And some cool things that God has done for me is that he let, is that he just let me get baptized and, and he, he let me, like, he gave me the choice to, to, to live under his name and not to live under his name. And I just chose to live under his name and, and just follow him and, and just like, and just read the Bible and come to church every day. Mm-hmm. Wow. Thanks, Will. Amen. Thanks, Will. Yeah. It takes a lot of courage to get up on a platform a lot of, in front of a lot of people. Thanks for sharing, Will. Man, I can't imagine that. The challenges you've had to face. You know, 12 years, 14 homes. Man. And that's why I, I just believe in these camps so much, Royal Family Kids Camp and track camps. And Mark, I said this earlier, but thank you for bringing the vision to Brookside 10 years ago. And Tim, who's directing camp now with track camp, uh, and all you volunteers that have helped. Mark, um, we, uh, Mark's going to have to act surprised because first service we gave him. I wanted to have like a balloon drop and confetti and all and celebrate his leadership. But uh, somebody who knows him well said, no, Mark's very humble. He wouldn't like that. So um, we gave him a gift card to a restaurant to take his family out and another restaurant to take Jenny out for a date. What you don't know is we're going to give you another gift card to take Jenny out on a second date. She awesome. deserves it. So thank you. you're going to have a, yeah. Um, thanks for your leadership. Thanks for your leadership. And I also want to thank all of you who have participated over the years, uh, volunteering, whether it's making dinners or registration or camp staff, uh, all the different ways, prayer partners and support partners, financial partners, to help kids go to camp. Kids from hard backgrounds that need to hear about Jesus, and need to know that they matter, and they matter to God. And if you wouldn't uh, mind, I'm going to put you on the spot. Anybody who's touched through a, a volunteer role, Royal Family Kids Camper Track, would you stand and stay standing? I want to pray for you, so just go ahead and stand. And let's give these guys a round of applause. Huh? Thank you. And um, thank you for serving, and thank you for caring for kids who have really challenges in their lives. And I, uh, I just want to pray for you guys. I want to pray for Real Family Kids Camp and Track. Uh, you guys might have another 10 years of amazing uh, stories of life change. So let's pray. Father, thank you for giving uh, Brookside the ability to get out into the community and do things, God. Thank you for these volunteers that are standing right here, for the time and the energy and the heartache and the love that they've put into serving. Kids who have such hard things in their life. And uh, Father, thank you for bringing these camps to Brookside. Thanks for allowing us to be a part of it. And God, now we would pray that there'd be another 10 years of stories of kids going through these camps and their lives being impacted and them knowing that people care about them and they have value. God, you're an amazing God and we love you. Thanks for the joy of partnering with you and doing your work. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.
and amen. Well, thank you, everybody. And uh, yeah, and uh, as we're leaving today, I think uh, Rob's going to be playing over us. So thanks for coming, guys.